Okay, so we're on a long piece of paper. I got too many pieces of paper. James chapter three. I was trying to trying to get my thoughts together yesterday, and I was using my mom's printer. So I almost thought the dog was going to eat my homework, and I typed it all on there, and then I couldn't wirelessly my 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 computer wouldn't recognize my mom's printer, and then it did recognize. And when I'd try to print it, it would put that little blue circle on there. The one that you want to hit with a hammer, you know that little blue circle, you're going to whack that thing. I thought I'm going to lose my homework. Had that. Anyway, finally, after three or four tries, I got it done. So here it is. So this is interesting. Let's let's read this. Let's go back over here to uh, James chapter three. And I know last week you looked at. Uh, I guess down through you're down through the uh, first twelve verses. But I want to see something up the first verse. It says. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So this, this whole chapter really is addressed primarily and first of all to teachers, pastors, instructors, disciple makers. But naturally, you and I, at some level and in some venues, every one of us is called to teach and to instruct and to make disciples, aren't we? There's none of us that, in fact, the writer of Hebrews says, by this time you all ought to be teachers. So we all are teachers. Parents teach their children. Uh, in, the, in a job relationship or personal relationships, we're given instruction by the things we say and the things we speak. So God says, don't let many of you become teachers because uh, you're going to be judged with greater strictness. And I've, man, I have, uh, you know, I've, I've been haunted by those verses for, since 1979 when I've sensed a call on my life to be a teacher, to be a, become a pastor then. I've really been haunted by those. And it's still... Still, I think, yeah, I don't want to misrepresent. I don't want to say something outside the bounds of orthodoxy. I'm sure I have, but I don't want to. And so this is a good checkpoint for me, you know, that I, that I remember this. And it's a good checkpoint for all of us. We don't want to misrepresent Jesus. We don't want to, uh, I don't know if you can, I hope you can understand this. We don't want to oversell grace. That is, that grace is had without repentance. But we don't want to oversell repentance, that you're not going to get anywhere with God unless you're just groveling on your face in the dirt all the time. You know, we don't want to. We don't want to go. We want to have a balance. We want to, and that's that's kind of a self-conscious word, like J.I. Packer says. But we we want to present the whole counsel of God's word, and it's easy not to. It's easy to to glom on to favorite things and favorite doctrines and favorite passages and kind of leave the rest of it alone as something that's hard to understand. But but we really have to go into it, like Luther says, and take the Bible as a tree and shake it until we get all the fruit out of it. And so we're called to to be people that that really try to present the truth of God and the fullness of God and, and not to back away from it. Because we're going to be judged with greater strictness. Whoever, whoever has much, much is going to be required, right? And so that's especially true for in the places where we teach, in the places where we instruct, in the places where we give encouragement or, or seek to disciple someone just in kind of in a natural way. We want to be sure of that. So this passage, although written primarily to those that are teaching in church, does impact all of us, certainly. So what we're going to do is go down to the chapter, excuse me, not chapter, but verse 13 of chapter 3. Close this chapter out. And the question is, who is wise and understanding among you? I'm looking for some hands. Come on, I'm asking asking the question. (laughs) Who is wise and understanding among you? So we've been given a wisdom the world doesn't have, Paul says in in 1 Corinthians, you know, we have a wisdom that man can't teach that we've been given by the Holy Spirit. So who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, her good conduct, let them show their works and the meekness of wisdom. 
But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Well, that's captured me too through the years. That's kind of haunted me. Yeah. I know you all are humble, but I struggle sometimes. I sometimes struggle with humility. So this verse is in here to catch me, to remind me that wisdom is not about selfish ambition. It's not about bitter jealousies. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Wow. That's bad, isn't it? You know, in the men's retreat, I had to, had to make these questions because Murray always likes to have questions after a session, so he always has whoever's doing whatever they're doing. They have to give some questions at the end of the, the teaching session. So I made up a list of questions. And since I was teaching on spiritual warfare, I think on the second or third session, one of the questions I put in there was, why do you think we see such little demonic activity in the West compared to Africa and India? Because if you ever read missionary reports, you know, if you've ever given to any mission group over any period of time and you get newsletters back, you're bound to come across demonic activity in their reports. Why do we have so little of that in America? Well, the reality is we don't have so little of that in America, do we? D demons typically in the United States wear three-piece suits. They look really nice, you know, and, uh, which makes sense because Satan disguises himself in an angel white. He doesn't come to us in a way that uh, we would say, whoa, I'm staying away from that. And bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are demonic. That's their generation. That, that was Satan's cry, wasn't it? Pre-creation. Oh, I'm going to take the seat of the Most High. I can drive this bus. I'll take God's place. I'll displace him. And God said, your pride has brought you down. And he cast him out of heaven because of his pride, because of his bitter jealousy, because of his selfish ambition. So when we're talking about bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, we're talking about something that really has the stench of sulfur on it from the get-go. But yet it's easily absorbed and entertained in America, isn't it? In fact, it's really taught. It's really taught that we're to be ambitious in a bad way. And we'll look a little bit about, uh, is there a good ambition? Well, yeah, there is a good ambition, and we'll see that. So verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So we're looking at this whole concept again, the idea that this book, this letter, James, is, is really a, a book about wisdom. And it's often compared to the Proverbs in the Old Testament. It's a book about wisdom. And here James talks about this wisdom, what it looks like. So how many of y'all are ambitious? Some of y'all just don't care? We're all ambitious, aren't we? We're all ambitious. We're ambitious for things. There's a good ambition and there's a bad ambition. But we're all, we're made to be ambitious. We are created to be ambitious. You know? But our motivation, the thing we have to check at the door, so to speak, is why am I ambitious? You know? So I can, so I can preach better than so-and-so and, you know, the trade I was in, you know, that's, that's a big temptation. I, want to, I remember one time I was at a conference, Trinity Fellowship, probably, I don't know, because that's where I was ordained. I went to a conference of a bunch of elders and pastors and there, people come in there, you know, and I knew most of them. And I remember this one guy stood up, and he was given a report on his church. He was in another Trinity Fellowship in another city, and he was given a report, and Jimmy Evans had just spoken, and Jimmy's a tremendous communicator, one of the best I've ever heard. And so this guy said, man, I just, I want to preach like Jimmy Evans. Yeah. Well, 
That's really not supposed to be our ambition to preach like so and so or to sing like so and so or to administrate like so and so or show mercy like so and so. It's not to be that at all. It's to glorify God, isn't it? But we're all ambitious. It's just that we have to to check those ambitions and say, okay, these ambitions need to be correct. They need to be, you know, undergirded by what the gospel says is correct and true and righteous. Uh, And if it's not, now you can't imagine this happening in the church if there's bitter jealousy and self. Surely not in the church. Surely not. But the church is made out of us, isn't it? So surely, yes, you know, it's going to show up. It's going to show up. It has to be dealt with. It has to be dealt with hopefully in a, in a good manner, but it has to be dealt with. So we see Jesus, who though he was in the image of God, the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. His ambition was not to be more than his dad or to gain more fame than his dad, you know, or to be something beyond the Trinity. Now what's beyond the Trinity anyway, but you know what I mean? So, Jesus came and he gave all of that away. His ambition, his only ambition, we pick this up in his high priestly prayer in John 17, his only ambition was that he glorify the Father. That was his ambition. It took and absorbed everything. Zeal for his Father's house consumed him. It was what burned inside of him. And there's our, there's our target, to be like that. To have that same kind of ambition that God would be glorified. And so you see the apostles say prayers like that oftentimes, don't you? And you see in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, and some of the longer prayers of the kings or the prophets, how they, they desired and they knew that they'd not glorified God. And they confessed that openly before God and for the people. And they prayed that he would be glorified. And so this is, a, this is to be our ambition. And Jesus did it perfectly. So what, what we're doing in this age is learning how to do that. We're doing that in our sanctifying process when we're counting it all joy when we meet various trials. Why? Because God's peeling these things away from us, you know. He's, he's checking our desires. Why do we sin? Well, because of the desires there is. The desires are out of order. You know, we're supposed to be a people that are desirous. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desire of your heart. Right? Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. And so we're supposed to be desiring. We, we want to be we want to be better. We want to grow. It takes ambition, you know. We want to overcome all the hurdles that are thrown in our way to get to the end, which is to glorify God. So God sets up this course of life for us, and it's fraught with all kinds of trials and tests in order that we can make the right decision, you know, and not yield to the wrong things. Not because, you know, the reason that we're tempted is because of the desires that are in us that are wrong. That's how we're tempted. Our desires aren't all they, are. they should be. We don't desire as strongly as we ought to, or we desire the wrong thing. And so the adversary has opportunity to tempt us, and when, when we sin, then sin brings death. And we don't want to be people of death. We're not ambitious to die. You know, we're ambitious to live life fully. And so this is what uh, wisdom is all about, is to live from the perspective of God, to live truly, you know, to be orthodox in what we think and say and bless God but then like I said earlier in chapter 3 then we don't curse somebody else you know we bless God but we curse those made in God's image well he says no 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 we're working he says we're working on trying that out of you you know cleansing that out of you so that so that uh, when we speak we speak from our heart and it's that blessing comes out of that that God might be glorified so let me go by I probably already got down to the last of the page and we can adjourn 
So the larger biblical picture here, the context of this, wisdom is the power by which God created all things. In the, in the beginning, God created everything by wisdom, and wisdom is personified as a lady, isn't it? As a, as a woman of virtue in the book of Proverbs. Listen to her, you know. That she is more precious than gold, you know, more, more beautiful than diamonds, you know. Nothing that you desire. Nothing that you desire. Is that word again? There's nothing that you desire that compares with wisdom. Because wisdom is ultimately Jesus Christ. He has been made to be our wisdom. And so we're to desire this wisdom above everything else. And we can desire it wherever we go. We can desire it in the business world. We can desire it in our family. We can desire it in the schools we go to. We can desire it on our vacation. We can desire wisdom wherever we go. You know, there's no, no limit to that, but we have to press toward that. So wisdom is the wealth of God's truth, His ways. Beautiful, profitable, peaceful. Boy, isn't it, like right now, isn't it beautiful outside? So I'm driving my truck down, I don't know, Hayden or Hughes the other day, and it's raining elm leaves. Man, that was cool. Just coming down all the way down the street. Isn't that cool? That God put that into trees, that the sap begins to go down, the senescence hits the petiole, the petiole has to drop the leaf, but before it drops the leaf, it loses its chlor chlorophyll coloring. So the green goes out, and then the oak, the red, and the yellow goes, comes out, you know, it's just beautiful. That's the wisdom of God, stuff like that. How beautiful is God that he makes little things like that that are, you know, that elm beetles chew on, you know, that, that he makes that for us to look at and to enjoy. So the wisdom of God, that's what he created with. That's what propelled him, and uh, that's what propels us, is to propel us. So Jesus is the wisdom of God for us. God's the source of wisdom, and this is good. You go back to chapter 1 again, here's this wisdom motif. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men and women generously without reproaching. So we lack wisdom, where, where we go? We go to Yale? I don't think so. You know, how about Harvard? No, those are oversold, but not God. God is where we go to get wisdom. So we come to God, we pray, we ask Him for wisdom, we ask Him for the understanding to live life in a way that is parallel and with Him and all that He desires. So we're people that are called to pray and we pray for wisdom. And God gives it freely. So essentially living in a manner that's consistent with God, into the, into the shape that He has called us to be, which is really an imitation of Christ. So we're designed for this. And we're designed for ambition. We're designed to be ambitious people. Have you ever thought of anything, anybody want to share something they've been ambitious for that they got to? Anybody ambitious, were you ambitious for anything that you accomplished? And look back on and say, yeah, I got it done. Anybody in here done anything? <laughs> I, remember, I remember when I was getting out of undergraduate school and I wanted to be a forest ranger. And it was an it was in 1974, and uh, in order to be a forest ranger, to get hired by the federal government, which was what I wanted because I wanted to live in the Rocky Mountain National Park in one of those cabins where those rangers lived, that was my goal. So in order to get the, a job like that, it, it was, I had a couple of immeasurable hurdles. One was I wasn't a woman, that's all they were hiring, or a minority, and I wasn't a minority. So I thought, I'm going to have to get some more education if I'm going to get to be a forest ranger. So I... 
started applying to graduate schools. I, I sent letters out to 38 graduate schools of forestry and natural sciences in North America. That's all of them that I knew of. There may be a few more now, but that's all that I could even find in an index. And I sent them out, and I said, I'm looking to, to further my education. Here's my transcript. Here's my references, you know, and I'm looking to do something in, uh, in uh, forestry and especially mined land because that was the hot item, you know, reclaiming mined land in the mountains. So I got back two responses. One of them was University of Idaho, and one was like uh, Connecticut or someplace. And so I got this offer to go there. But I had, to, I had a lot of hurdles to overcome. I had to get all my paperwork together, but I really wanted this. I had to write all these letters, you know, and then I had to go up there and spend two and a half years getting a master's degree and writing a thesis and doing research up in the Rocky Mountains, which was fun, you know. But I had to do all that. But I look back and I go, I did it. I did that. I was ambitious. I put my ducks in a row and I did what it took to get there. I drug my wife up there with two dogs and a cat and all of her flowers in the back of my pickup that I had to take into the motel every night in the middle of the winter and haul back out and stick back in the truck, you know, driving through snow, putting chains on, going over the 4th of July pass in Montana, taking them off every 30 feet, it seemed like, putting them back on, taking them off, putting them, lost my wedding ring, you know, on the way because my hands got cold. And so all that stuff, you know, but, but I really didn't even think a whole lot about that because, man, I was going north to Idaho, man, north, the race is on, you know. And so if you get sometimes you look back and say, yeah, I, I put all that together, you know. I, I overcame some hurdles. I, I got to a place that I wanted to be, okay. Well, that's really ambition is about that. It's about overcoming obstacles. It's not just about desiring something, but it's about putting the energy in it to overcome the things that are going to crop up in the way. And, man, there's a lot of stuff that crops up in the way in being conformed to the image of Jesus and living by the wisdom of God. You know, there's a fly in the ointment. I like that statement that comes out of Ecclesiastes, don't you? A fly in the ointment. It's like the, wait, the waiter that comes in. The guy says, hey, there's a fly in my suit. Everybody will want one, you know. So there's a fly in the ointment that makes, that makes things not be as smooth as they ought to be. That's the reason for the obstacles in life, isn't it? It's called sin. And so we have this sin nature. We have desires that are outside the lines of what God's called us to. But God's going to take us through those. He doesn't want us to be afraid of our ambitions, but he wants us to correct them when they're wrong. You know, he wants us to correct those things that are out of order. If we're not, if we're not here to glorify God, you know, in, in the place that we find ourselves today, then God says, I, I want you to change that. I want you to, to overcome that. Because we, he, God can be glorified in everything, can't he? Whether you're farming, you know, or, or even a lawyer can glorify God. You know? I mean, I know it's hard to believe, but even, even a lawyer can glorify God. I've met some lawyers that glorify God. So whatever it is that we're doing, God wants us to take that with us into that calling, into that profession, into that work, and to glorify Him. And so uh, we don't have to be afraid of the, the, the sins. Sometimes I'm afraid of the sin that might be lurking in me. I don't know why, because I've, I just, you know, I've gone through with a pickaxe for 46 years, and it's just, it's really deep. You know, the veins go way down into me. But God says, don't be afraid of that. Because I've delivered you from that, and I'm going to deliver you, and I will be delivering you, and you're going to be finally delivered. Don't be afraid of that. Let's just confront that, change that, get it out, put it in the new. And so as we have as our ambition to glorify God, to live under the wisdom of God, we're going to find out that, man, I, sometimes I have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And so we're not going to boast and be false to the truth when that happens. We're just going to be open before God. Let him cleanse that. Let him deal with us and take us on. So if you consider uh, the, the whole idea of ambition which requires determination and exertion toward the desire end. You think about something like Jesus said, does anybody here want to follow me? 
Well, the multitudes were following him, but he begins to pare them down. Anybody want to follow me? Let them deny themselves. Take up their cross daily and follow me. Well, there went 95% of the people. They said, no, I'm not into that. I'm not into denying myself. I'm into the being favor-minded, you know, or whatever the phrase. I'm, I'm into having my best life now. Jesus said, no, no, this is not the best life now. You have to sacrifice lands and sometimes you'll have to sacrifice family in order to follow me. But if you do, I want you to know, you'll get more in this age. In the age to come, you'll get a hundredfold. But you have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. So we have to have real ambition, the, the ambition that's not afraid to exert. And that, even that calling begins to give us the energy for that ex exertion. You know, God's grace is calling upon our lives. And, and seeing the end from the beginning, we begin to make those, those uh, energetic moves against things that would keep us from fulfilling the God's calling on us. So to further, further complicate matters, there's good ambition and bad ambition. The two can be indistinguishable from the casual observer. You know, because if anybody had been watching the 12 apostles that were following Jesus, and then he sent them out two by two, you remember that? And Luke chapter 9, after Jesus had been doing all that stuff, he said, okay, you guys go do it. I gave you some OJT. Go heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. And you watch those 12 guys go off. And if, we'd, if they'd had a camera with them, and they'd just kind of go on like a reality TV show. Somebody's trailing, watching them, going knocking on doors and healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the leper, casting out. They would have seen Judas Iscariot doing all that stuff. They would have seen him doing the same thing that Peter and John and James were doing. And Matthew. He would have been doing all those same things. But his ambition was full of bitter jealousy. It was selfish. And it, to the casual observer, nobody knew that. They didn't see that. But he knew it. He knew it. He knew what he was in it for. And it wasn't coming about as fast as he wanted. And in the end, he sold Jesus out because it wasn't going to work out the way he thought. So, when bitter jealousy shows up in our heart or selfish ambition, we know it. Somebody else that's watching us might not. But Jesus points it out. And we come before him with whom we have to do. He's, he's filtering these things. We're, we're living before God always, constantly. You know? Sunday from 8 o'clock till the next Sunday at 8 o'clock, we're living before God. And He sees all of the things. And He's there to, to give us real wisdom. He's there to, to confess to and to receive mercy from. He's there so that we don't have to end up like Judas because there's going to be some people at the end who say, man, we prophesied your name. We cast out demons. We did a lot of great works in your name. Jesus said, I never knew you. Your ambitions were for yourself. They weren't for the glory of my Father. I never did know you. Man, that's weighty stuff, isn't it? Well, this is weighty stuff right here. That's demonic. There's no demonic things that are going to enter into the presence of God. And so God's giving us His Word, and He's giving us His Spirit now. So we're making course on course directions constantly going through. We don't have to be afraid of what we run into down in there. You know? The difference between Peter and, and uh, well, besides Jesus' selection, but the difference between Judas and Peter was Peter was broken. He was absolutely broken. He was very repentant. So sin distorts this lens that we, through which we desire things, but God continues to work with us in his great patience. So we're transforming. How are we going to transform our ambitions and our desires? Well, the first thing that's required is a new heart because the human heart is deceptive beyond any measure. You can read about that in Jeremiah chapter 17. Man, it's deceptive. Uh, sometimes, sometimes we'll recognize that in ourselves, but usually not until after the fact, but we'll go, wow, I can't believe I did that for that reason. Now I understand, you know, why I did that and 
why I was about that. But the human heart's just very, it's bad. And so God says, but I'm going to take out the heart of stone, and I'm going to give you a new heart. So in the new covenant, when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, we got a new heart. we got a new heart. So that's, that's the first step in order to have our ambitions changed and revolutionized and be able to seek real wisdom we have to have a new heart and then we then we've got to be ambitious we've got to discipline our desires so i remember hearing this guy that was talking about years ago about prayer so i, I really want to i want to be a prayer and so uh he he take this he took this model out of uh psalm 37 psalm 37 says uh, delight yourself in the lord And you'll have him give you the desires of your heart. And what's the, what, what is this right here? What are the desires of this heart? Delight yourself in the Lord. He is the desire, isn't he? He is the desire. So this guy said, <clears throat> if you want, he was using this as a good example. It's a good example for anything we're pursuing, but... Uh, if I, if I desire, in my case, I'm using this as an example, I want, to be a, I want to be a better prayer. I want to cooperate with God well. I want, to, I want to pray after Him. I want to pray His will. Because the Bible says if we, we know that if we pray according to God's will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we've obtained the request we've made of Him. Man, wouldn't that be something? All these promises Jesus makes. If you abide in me, my word abides, and you ask whatever you will. And it shall be done for you. What is it that we will if his word abides in us as thoroughly as he desires for it to? We're going to desire what he wills. So this guy said, all you got to do to get there is this. Delight with discipline leads to the fulfillment of desires. That's, that's good. That's good theology. So we're, we're constantly bringing uh, before God our desires, our delights, what we really want at the end. And if we discipline ourselves according to his word, according to his wisdom, we're going to end up exactly where we want to go. So if we want to be a better prayer, we've got to take time to pray. If we want to be a better giver, we've got to start giving a little more. You know, we've got to learn to be sacrificial in our giving. If we want to be a better lover, we've got to start acting like a lover. You know, whatever it is that we see that we need growth in, as we begin to desire that and we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives us his Holy Spirit and we begin to be disciplined by the circumstances and we discipline ourselves toward Jesus and, and we'll become what we desire. So if we desire a 57 red Chevy two-door hard top with Krager mags, SS, you know, and hell will end up looking like a 57 Chevy with SS Krager. You know what I mean? Whatever we desire, we become like that. If we desire Jesus, if, if we delight in Him, you know, then that's what we become through the discipline of the Holy Spirit. So James speaks about that. He says to ask for wisdom, he says to humble ourselves. These are just some things he says in the re chapters leading up to chapter 3. Continue steadfastly. So discipline is really about being steadfast. What's that guy's name? Uh, Michael Phelps that won all the gold medals in swimming, you know. Did you ever read about him and his workout? And he, he was eating like 35,000 calories a day during his workouts. 35,000 calories a day. Isn't that something? That's like... That's like 18 men. He's eating calories for 18 guys and not putting on a pound, man. Why? Because he was so disciplined, he was swimming miles and miles and miles of different strokes, you know, back and forth, back and forth. He had a goal, man. He, he, he had a desire. 
He wanted to be the most famous swimmer ever. And he is. Except maybe J Jimmy or Johnny Weissmuller. He's the, the original Tarzan. But he's famous, isn't he? Michael Phelps is famous as the, the greatest Olympian probably that's ever lived. So, but it took a lot of discipline to get there. He had some natural gifts, didn't he? Now, if Biff and I were going to try to win a gold medal in swimming, I'd have to float on his back while he paddled, you know. We, we don't have those kind of gifts. We don't have the gifts that he had. But he had to develop those gifts. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the life of Christ Jesus in us. And when God calls us to be disciples, he's drawing on the life that's in Jesus. He's drawing from the wells of salvation. And so are we. We're drawing up from the wells of salvation. He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He'll give us all things with him. Whatever we need in order to accomplish the end goal, he's going to give us that. But we have to cooperate with him. And so Jesus did that perfectly. He did that, he did that as a man. He was God, but he was also totally man. And Jesus, the man, glorified his Father completely, fully in relationship with his Father by the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit came upon him, it was just like us. When the Holy Spirit came upon him in baptism, in this case, in the fullness of, for ministry, it never left him. It never departed from him. It empowered him. The Holy Spirit and the camaraderie that the Son and the Spirit had together glorified the Father. And that's what we're called to do in a similar fashion, only we're not, we don't have deity in us. So we're just to do what's right. Continue steadfastly, do what's right. And then remember Jesus. Always remember Jesus. That he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he gave himself up. He took it, the form of man. And he went all the way to the cross doing that in order to glorify the Father. And so we're called to, to be disciplined after the, the pattern of Jesus, after the model that he gave us. And when we fail, which we do fail, and God continues to give us opportunities. So in chapter 5 we'll find out that, uh, that we can... Confess our sins to one another and pray for another will be healed. So look what happens when he segues into chapter 4. He says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. Wow. We know from Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount that to be angry with our brothers is the same as murder. So in the church, even, this happens, doesn't it? Among God's people, these kind of things happen because we're not disciplining ourselves under the authority of God's hand and by his word. But if we do, we can come out of those things. We can even avoid some of those things. So we ask and we don't receive because we ask wrongly. But if we ask rightly, our Father in heaven is generous and he always gives wisdom to those that come to him. So let's pray together and we'll ask God for more wisdom. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's, uh, it's hard-hitting but life-giving. God, we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, you never point out anything except with a desire to heal and to change and to transform us. And we thank you, God, that because you're at work within us and you don't give up, that one of these days we'll see you face to face. That you who began a good work in us will bring it to completion on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for that, God, for the foundation of faith and grace that we found in him. So, God, we ask you, we ask you for the wisdom that James speaks about that's peaceable, full of good fruits, God, gentle, kind. Lord, we ask for that to be the epitome of who we are as we seek after you. God, forgive us where we failed, where we've been selfish, we've been ambitious. We've demanded and desired our own way until we've quarreled and argued. We've grown angry with other people. Father, forgive us for that. 
be merciful to us, Lord. You know us. You know our frame. We, you know we're dust. We can't, we can't take your heavy hand, Lord. We pray that you instead give us your wisdom by your Holy Spirit. Refresh us today. Strengthen us. God, let us be people that are glad to follow after you. Even though it's hard sometimes to give things up, God, give us the grace to do that. So, Lord, we present ourselves to you. We thank you that even though we're earthen vessels, your transcendent powers is pleased to dwell within us by the Holy Spirit. So fill us up, refresh us, and be glorified in us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great morning.